Well, good afternoon. Welcome to River Glen. My name is John. I'm one of the pastors here. And we're so glad that you took time to be with us this afternoon. Quick show of hands. How many remember playing the classic game hide and seek when you were growing up? You probably played it with the neighbors. You played it with your brothers and sisters. I loved playing it at night. And then we grow up, and then we have kids, and then we start playing hide-and-seek with our children. My, my favorite kids, my favorite age group to play hide-and-seek with, it's with infants and little toddlers because they haven't developed this object permanency thing. So when they close their eyes, they think you disappear. Now, that's not going to work. If you close your eyes this afternoon, I am not going to disappear. So you're going to have to listen to me for a while. But when we grow up, we don't play hide-and-seek anymore. But most of us, we get pretty good at hiding, don't we? We carry a lot of stuff around from our past, and we carry it around our present stuff, and it's stuff that we're ashamed of. And because we're ashamed, what we want to do is we want to hide because we're afraid that we'll get found out. And so we get really good at hiding. So we're in week five of our Uncovered series, and we've been talking about how to train yourself, how to train yourself to become godly. And to become godly, that might sound a little lofty, it might sound a little religious, it might sound a, a little pious, but everyone here is created in the image of God. And living like Jesus is living life the way it was intended to be lived. It's how we're created to live for the fullest. Because when we're more like Jesus, we're more patient, we're more kind, we're more gracious, we're more generous, we're selfless, not selfish, we're selfless, and, and we develop all of these qualities that we want in our characters, and they start to show. And I love the wording that Paul uses in 1 Timothy, because this journey we're on, it isn't about trying to be like Jesus, it's training to be like Jesus. It's like if you were here the first week, Ben talked about how many of us could go out tomorrow and try to run a marathon? And the answer is probably not a lot of us. But if we all began to train to run a marathon eight months from now, it would be a completely different thing. So it's this idea of training because let's face it, there are areas in our lives that all of us struggle with because we know we're not the person that God wants us to be. And I don't know about you, but for me, just gritting my teeth and just digging in and trying harder it usually doesn't work for me. In 2016, in the beginning of 2016, I made this New Year's resolution. It was going to be the year that I was going to learn how to play chess proficiently, to be good at chess. And chess is an easy game to play because once you learn how the pieces move, it's simple. That's where the work becomes in because after the first four moves, there are a billion different options that can happen. And so this was going to be the year that I was going to become a chess master. So I went to chess.com. I bought the premium membership. I paid $100, and they had all these videos you could watch, and they had all these training exercises on strategies and, and tactics. Go ahead and guess how much chess.com improved my game. Zero. Absolutely zero. And the reason why? I never did the training exercises. And so during this ser series, we're talking about uncovering spiritual practices that most of us have forgotten. It's like the exercise equipment in our basements or in our houses where we just dump a lot of boxes on that equipment and it never gets used. My sister-in-law, she's got this exercise bike and it's one of these where the handles move, except she uses it for a clothes rack and she's like, should I wear this or should I wear this? And so what we want to do 
is we want to get the dust off of these spiritual practices so we can train to be godly. And so today, we're going to talk about confession. And now, what we're going to do is we're going to watch a video real quick. It's someone very famous, and they gave us permission to show their confession. All right, that was just to lighten the mood a little bit. Isn't it great to live in Wisconsin and to have Aaron Rodgers? Many of you, though, you probably cringed a little bit when I said confession because depending on what your backgrounds are or your experiences, you may have all sorts of scary ideas about what confession is all about. But what I mean by the spiritual practice of confession, it's simply this. It's bringing what's in here, it's bringing what's inside of us and bringing it out there. It's bringing the hidden realities in here and to bring them out there. And I want to admit up front that it takes tremendous courage to uncover this practice. But before we're done today, you'll understand why it's worth it. So let's talk about confession, and let's talk about how it helped train us to become godly. And to do that, I want to start with the story of David. David, this is the same David that took out Goliath when he was a little shepherd boy. And now David is the king of Israel, and he is he's considered to be one of the greatest leaders ever by, one, by many people. And on this occasion, on this particular occasion, David's armies are at the battlefield. They're at war. And if you're a king and you have an army and they're at war, you are supposed to be with that army. But David is back in Jerusalem, and he's just kind of taking a little break. And one night, David goes up on the roof of his house, and in Jerusalem, there's a lot of, a, a lot of rooftop living, and David's on the roof, and he sees Bathsheba, and he sees Bathsheba in her tub, and that's actually how we get the word bathtub. Scratch that for tomorrow. Ben kind of thought that would be funny. Note to self. Okay, so David sees Bathsheba. And rather than doing and recognizing the potential danger, what David does is David inquires about Bathsheba. He asks who that is. And not only does he inquire about Bathsheba, but David sends for Bathsheba. And Bathsheba comes over, and they end up getting together, and Bathsheba becomes pregnant. Now, on a side note, Bathsheba is married to one of David's loyal soldiers, and his name is Uriah, and he's at war, right? And so now when confronted with the pregnancy, you think that David would just confess what he had done and that he would face the consequences. But instead, David begins to hide. He begins to cover up, and then one lie leads to another, and then he does the unthinkable. He sends an order to his generals, and he tells the generals to place Uriah in the front where the fighting is the fiercest, and then David says, and then pull everybody back. And that's what happens, and Uriah is struck down, and he's killed. Now, that probably sounds more like a series we'd watch on Netflix than something out of Scripture, right? But what's happening is David is hiding a lot in here. He, he's putting on a brave front, and he ignores it. But what he's done is haunted him day and night. Okay, so when you came in, pull this out. You got this push pin, right? Here's what this push pin is going to represent for us. What I'd like you to do is I'd just like you to hang on to it during the message. Don't use it to poke the person next to you. If they fall asleep, just let them sleep. If they start to snore, stick them. <laughs> but this represents 
unconfessed sins in, in, in our lives. And so just hang on to it. And as you play with it, it's probably going to poke you. You'll feel that pinprick and, and just continue to do that throughout the message. But don't poke yourself so you bleed, please. But now let's get back to David. It's not till God sends the prophet named Nathan that David comes out of hiding. And Nathan comes up and he puts this twisted story together. He figures out what David's doing and, David, and Nathan confronts David. He challenges him to bring what's in here to bring it out there. Now there's a one redeeming quality about David in this entire story. And that's this. When he's confronted, he does confess. He brings out what's in here. He brings it out there, and he quits hiding, and he stops hiding. Now, I whipped through that complicated story really fast, and I did so because I wanted to get to this next part, and I want to talk about what David learned about the value of confession because immediately after David confessed to Nathan, David penned these words that we find in Psalm 51, verses 10 through 13. Create in me a pure heart, O God, And renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Then I will teach your transgressors your ways and sinners will turn back to you. In this psalm, David not only prays for his own restoration, but he promises God that he will use his experiences to help people find their way back to him. And one way that he does it is he writes this psalm that we know as Psalm 32. We'll take a look at the first five verses. Blessed is he whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man whose sins the Lord does not count against him, and in whose spirit is no deceit. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away all through my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy on me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. Then I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. Have you ever felt the weight or the burden of a secret or unconfessed sin? Our secrets can affect us in ways we don't even know. Unconfessed sin is the destroyer of our lives. Unconfessed sin can destroy us physically. Researchers from Stanford found out that people that are walking around with with a secret, that can have the same effect as walking around carrying extra weight. And holding on to secrets or holding on to unconfessed sins, it can literally be walking around with extra weight on your back, and that extra weight is going to take a toll on you. Unconfessed sin can destroy our relationships, our relationships with each other and our relationships with God. This unconfessed sin, it causes, to walk, it causes us to walk around with shame, the same shame that Adam and Eve felt in the Garden of Eden and the same shame that caused them to hide from God. This, un- this unconfessed sin, it can cause us to do unhealthy things. It can cause us to do foolish things. It can cause us to do sinful things that impact our relationships with others. Unconfessed sin can destroy our future. It, it keeps us stuck in the past. It, it stops us from moving forward into new relationships, new opportunities, and, and new possibilities. So how do we stop this pattern of destruction? 
we acknowledge the sin, we confess our secret, and we bring what's in here, and, and we bring it out there. You come out of hiding, and you let yourself be found. You just stop hiding. Many years ago, it was said that the author of Sherlock Holmes, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, he was this renowned prankster, and he had five friends, and his friends were these five prominent men in England, and he sent an anonymous note to all five of them, two lines, and it says the same thing. All has been found out, flee at once. And within 24 hours, all five men had left the country. We all have stuff that we're hiding in here. And the challenge for today is to stop hiding. It's to stop hiding and to be found. If you're ready to stop hiding, it's going to require some training. And here's how we're going to do it. you got to stop hiding from yourself. It first starts when you stop hiding from yourself, and that's when you confess the truth to yourself. You do some self-examination. And how do you do this? One way that I found is very helpful is get out pen and paper, pull out your laptop, open up a Word document, and ask yourself, what parts of my life am I hiding? What do I feel guilty about? What are my faults? What are the faults in my life that I know I need to do something about? And God asks us to see ourselves clearly. In Psalm 139, David writes, Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way of everlasting. Jim Collins, in the business book he wrote, Good to Great, he discovered that great corporations were willing to confront the brutal facts about themselves. They were relentless about telling the truth about themselves to themselves, and that's what David is saying in that psalm. If we want to stop hiding on a personal level, we've got to become willing to confront the brutal facts about ourselves, and this requires reflecting without rushing. Remember week one when we talked about solitude, the spiritual practice of solitude? We can marry, we can marry confession with this solitude, And we do that by just taking our time, and it happens when we decide that I'm going to be brutally honest, I'm going to stop pretending, and I'm going to stop hiding what's wrong with my life. And I think putting pen and paper is one of the best ways to practice confession because our thoughts disentangle as our thoughts go through our fingertips, and we get clarity as we write it out. But the practice of confession, it doesn't stop there. Second, we got to stop hiding from God. Some of the most helpful wisdom on confession comes from one of Jesus' disciples. His name's John, and he wrote, If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sin, God is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from unrighteousness. Now, in this verse, there's a lot going on, and this could be, this could be a whole sermon in and of itself, but I want to point out a couple of things real quick. The first thing is we're told that God will forgive us. And the second thing is we're told that he will purify us. And and the way that purify is used here, it means that God will use it to change us. He'll change our desires. He'll change our behavior so we become more like Jesus. The things that tempt us, the way we look at them will be changed, and those things will lose their power and their grip over our lives. When you stop hiding And you confess whatever it is that you need to confess to God. Remember two things. That's one. That's two. 
don't beg God. You do not have to beg God to forgive you. And, and the second thing is you don't have to bargain with God either. You don't have to say, God, if you forgive me, I'll do this. Or, or God, forgive me, and, and I'll go to church every Sunday. God, forgive me, and I'll tithe. You don't have to come up with a whole list of things that you'll do. No, God wants to forgive you. In fact, he's already forgiven you. And John reminds us that God is faithful and he will forgive our sins. So come out of your hiding and confess your sins to God. Lastly, we have to stop hiding from others. If you want forgiveness, you confess to God. But if you want healing, you confess to others. Let me say that again. If you want forgiveness, you confess to God. If you want to be healed, you confess to others. If you want to put an end to it, confess to others. James, James, the brother of Jesus, wrote, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. The healing that comes from confession allows us to be more like Jesus, to become changed. And we're healed by admitting our regrets and our faults to one another. And you might wonder, why do I need, why do I need to bring another person into it? Why can't I just admit this to God? The root of all of our problems, it's relational. We lie to each other. We deceive each other. We hide from one another. And, and all that stuff, it leads us into isolation. And when we're isolated from other people, we begin to think, we tell ourselves, if they really knew the truth about me, they would reject me. If they really knew what I was like, no one would want to be around me. And God tells us to confess to one another because it frees us. It brings the truth into the light. It invites accountability into areas of our life where we have weakness, and it trains us to be godly. And so this afternoon, what we're going to do is we're just going to send some microphones down the aisles, and when you get that microphone, stand up, say your name, and just tell us the sin, the deepest struggle you have in your life. No, we're not going to do that. Okay. A couple of people are like, no way. They're going to the doors. God isn't saying that we have to put our sins on display for everything that we've done wrong. This isn't about airing dirty laundry. In high school, in English literature, I had to read the books, The Scarlet Letter by Nathaniel Hawthorne. And Hester Prynne, she had to walk around with this letter on all of her clothing so everybody knew what she did. It's not like that at all. But if we want... If we want to be healed, we need to confess someone. And confession should just be something that's a normal part of who we are as, as followers of Jesus. Because I think if we're not careful, we get to the point where we think we don't need to confess because we didn't do any of the really, really bad sins. The sins we commit, we, we commit the cool sins. We commit just the little ones that God winks about, the, one, the ones that he doesn't mind. And this is one way that we trick ourselves and we begin to believe this lie. But sometimes we do need to confess those little things. We do need to confess that we were rude to someone or, or we have a bad attitude and our bad attitude affected people negatively throughout the day. Or, or maybe we need to confess that we've been gossiping and we've been talking about people behind their back. Or maybe we need to f confess that we don't feel like extending grace. We feel more like judging. There's a whole list of things that we need to confess to other people that will help us heal so we can move away from those behaviors. Confession is just part of being a follower of Jesus. So who do you tell? You tell someone you trust, someone who's not a gossip, 
Someone who's got, a, uh, 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 who's got a reputation for keeping a confidence, you don't want to tell somebody something and then see it on Facebook the next day. You don't want to see yourself trending on Twitter. If someone confesses it to you, if they confide in you, then make sure that you extend grace, that you show them the love of Jesus. That's the role that we play when someone confesses to us. We show the other person the love of Jesus, total acceptance, no judgment, and no condemnation. You tell someone that understands the enormity of what you're doing, someone who is compassionate, and somebody who will weigh the significance of what you're saying. Tell somebody who's spiritually mature enough that will help you heal. And most likely, it's a trusted friend or someone in your small group. Here's another option. We've got a couple of great ministries here at River Glen. We've got Celebrate Recovery, and we've got Stephen Ministries. And these are all great places to go and talk. And this week, Joanne, I asked her to come in and make a video for us. She's one of the leaders at Celebrate Recovery, and I asked her to share her experience with confession. Let's take a look at this video. So my name is Joanne, and I have been coming to River Glen for the past five or six years, and I am one of the ministry co-leaders for Celebrate Recovery. So my journey with uh, confession was I tried to do it through the church that I was attending at the time. And as I was going through that process, it wasn't deep enough. It was very uh, surface level uh, for me. And at that point in time, I was still in my addiction and in the addiction cycle. And so I really didn't know how to be honest with myself, with God, and with other people. And I ended up uh, joining a recovery program. And through that program and through the steps, which are the same steps that Celebrate Recovery has, I was able to go through that confession uh, stage. I started off um, with a sponsor. And she had me write down all of the people that I had ever been angry with. And then I had to write down why I was really upset with them. And then the very last piece ended up being what was my part in it and me taking responsibility. And after that, I had to share everything that I had discovered through that writing process. I had to share that with my sponsor. Um, Through that, there was this immense release immediately of that I was no longer carrying that baggage along with me. And it also freed me to be able to to go on as the steps continued on to steps eight and nine, which then allowed me to really uh, make amends for the things that I had done in an honest and sincere way without blaming other people. And so that really freed me. There was a lot of fear. Um, I, every time I had gone through this, this confession stage, every time I had gone through healing um, stage, and every time I had gone to actually make these immense, there was a, a huge immense fear inside of me. But after every single time that I did it, there was this complete freedom, which allowed me to really be who I am today and to be able to help other people that are struggling with their own addiction cycles, whether it be a hurt, a habit, or other um, kind of addiction. So because of this healing process that I've gone through with confession, today I'm able to have a healthy relationship with my mom. I'm able to be a better mother to my children. And honestly, I like who I am better than 
I've ever felt about myself in the past. Uh, I have more self-worth, and I know a lot of that comes from this entire healing process of being able to, to work these steps, which includes um, confessing and really taking care of my side of the street so that I can be the person that God has called me to be. It's been said. There you go. It's been said that hurt people hurt people. Do you ever hear that expression? Hurt people hurt people. The opposite is also true. Healed people heal people. Stephen's Ministry, Celebrate Recovery are just excellent programs that you, we have here. There's going to be some people in the lobby hanging out by the connect wall. We've got some people from Celebrate Recovery here tonight. We've got some Stephen ministers. If you want to talk to them, just after the message, just go hang out there and, and just say hey. And we're from Wisconsin, so everybody just says hey. You know, just say hey. Tell me what you're about. And then lastly, when do you do it? When do you confess? Don't procrastinate because confession is something that we, we will put off. We will convince ourselves that, well, maybe I don't really need to confess that. Maybe I just need to give it some more thought. Don't think about it. J- just confess, right? Some of us, when we played that game hide-and-seek growing up, we had this rule. The person who was it at the end of the game, they'd yell, ali, ali, income free. Or if you're from a different part of the country, maybe they yelled, ali, ali, oxen free. And that meant the game was over. And it was safe to come home. And I liked that part of the game because it was safe to come out of hiding and we could come home. And so today, I'm saying Ali Ali income free. It is safe to come out of hiding. It's safe to come back home. When we stop hiding, when we allow ourselves to be found, we find freedom, forgiveness, and healing. And in time, the things that sent us into Hiding in the first place, our desire for those sinful stuff, that just lessens. So train yourself to become godly by practicing confession, and then you'll become a little bit more like Jesus every day. And we begin to live life the way it was meant to be lived. In the New Testament, confession is a good thing. Confession means I agree. We confess our sins. We agree that what we did was wrong. But we also confess our faith in Jesus. We confess and we agree that Jesus, who is he, who he said he was, and he said he was the Son of God, and we believe that Jesus, we confess that Jesus did what he said he was going to do, and Jesus said, I am going to take on your sins. I'm going to take those sins to the cross. I am going to pay the price for you. I'm going to come and be risen on the third day, and you will never again be separated from the love of God. That's what we confess. And Paul wrote about this in Romans 10, verse 9. He said that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And when we confess in Jesus, we agree with that. And if we agree with that, we can follow an example that Jesus set. Jesus gave us this great example of baptism. Jesus went down to the River Jordan, and he was baptized. And next weekend, we're going to have a baptism service here at River Glen. And in baptism, we're recognizing that Jesus took all of our filth, all of our shame, all of our sins, and he died on the cross. And when we go under, we're recognizing that we're dying to ourselves, and then we come up in a new life. And if you've never taken that next 
step in baptism as a follower of Jesus, I just want to encourage you to do that because in baptism, we are, we are declared alive, we're declared free, and we are declared forgiven. There's a card in your program. You can just fill that card out. You can drop it off in the offering bags. And if you've got questions, just say, hey, I have questions about baptism, and I'll call you this weekend or this week, and I'll answer those questions. If you want to talk about baptism after this service, I'll be happy to do that. I'll be hanging out in the lobby. So baptism is a great next step. Now, push pin, right? Pull them out. I stuck myself really good when it was in my pocket. But this, this represents our unconfessed sins. And I hope that maybe you played with it. I hope you felt that, that print prick because unconfessed sin, it, it causes pain. And so we're just going to take a moment here, and we're going to ask God to forgive us. And in this moment of asking God for forgiveness, what I'd like us to do is just think about what it is you need to ask God for forgiveness. He knows what it is, and you probably know what it is. So just ask God for that forgiveness. Just take a minute. And then when you've done that, we've got these four buckets up front, and I think there's some buckets in the back. And just simply come up. Drop it in the bucket. And walk away knowing that you are forgiven. So come out of hiding. Confess to God and be forgiven and be healed. So let's do that right now. That was symbolic of our sins being forgiven. We're going to do something else right now that's also symbolic of something that Jesus asked us to do. It's the night of the Last Supper. And Jesus took the bread and he said, this bread represents my body. Take it and eat it in remembrance of me. And he took the cup and he said, this cup represents my blood poured out for you. And Jesus said, do this in memory of me. And so each week we take time during service to symbolically take those elements and remember the sacrifice that Jesus made at the cross for us. In communion, we are confessing and we are agreeing that Jesus is who he said he was and he did what he said he was going to do. And because of that, we will never be separated from the love of God. Our communion's open to everyone who's a follower of Jesus. Just when the trays go by, just go ahead and, and grab the cups and, and separate them. There's two cups. If you want to let communion pass you by, that's good too. But I'm going to pray and then we'll take communion. God, thank you, Lord, so much for loving us. Thank you for this opportunity to get together collectively and just to look into your word and find the truths that will help us become better followers of Jesus, God. Help us uncover these practices in our lives that can draw us closer to you. Thank you so much for forgiveness. Our past, our present, and our future sins are forgiven, not because of what we've done, not because we deserve it, but because you loved us and you sent your son, Jesus, and he did what he said he was going to do. God, thank you so much for loving us that you would make sure we could be with you. In Jesus' name, amen.